Recording in progress. All right, I'd like to call the Monday, November 13th, 2023, regular meeting of the Shoreline City Council to order. Will you please join me in the flag salute? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Would the clerk please call the roll? Mayor Scully. Present. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Here. Councilmember Ramsdale. Present. Councilmember Mark. Present. Councilmember McConnell. Councilmember Poby. Here. Councilmember Roberts. All right, thank you. Uh, next up is approval of the agenda. Are there any Um I think we do. Yeah, will you do? I move to excuse those not here uh, for personal reasons. Second. All right, any opposition? All right, Councilmember Roberts and uh, McConnell are excused. Next up is approval of the agenda. Are there any requested changes to the agenda? Seeing none, the agenda is approved as proposed. Next up is report of the city manager, Mr. Norris. Thank you, Mayor, and good evening, Council and community. I want to start off tonight's report with a cool workshop that is coming up. You can join the garden hotline this Wednesday at Richmond Beach Library for an edible gardening workshop. Um, edible gardening is increasing in popularity and it's important to know how to determine if your site, your soil, and your containers are safe to use and uh, learn how to choose materials for building raised beds, determine how healthy your soil is and when it's important to test for toxins in the soils. And so you can visit shorelinewa.gov slash calendar for more information at this workshop, which again is Wednesday, November 15th at 5.30 p.m. at the Richmond Beach Library. And as we continue to work on updating the city's comprehensive plan, we have two opportunities to help Shoreline, uh, bring Shoreline's future into focus. Uh, residents can attend an open house this Wednesday, also this Wednesday, November 15th, from 6 to 8 p.m. here at City Hall in a casual setting uh, to share thoughts, concerns, priorities, hopes, and questions for our comprehensive plan update. And if you can't make the in-person open house, you can take an online survey through December 10th. The comprehensive plan guides the city's future decision-making, so input now uh, will help shape the community for the next 20 years. And you can learn more about the comprehensive plan update process and find a link to the survey at shorelinewa.gov slash 2044. And the cities of Bothell, Kenmore, Lake Forest Park, and Shoreline are partnering again this year to celebrate communities shining bright with the 2023 Winter Porch Light Parade. Uh, from December 1st through the 31st, we invite the community to create light displays that will become part um, of a uh, virtual map marking the many holidays and traditions celebrating during the winter uh, season. Beginning tomorrow, you can register your display at the webpage noted here on the slide. Uh, and the virtual map will go live on that site on December 1st. So encourage folks to participate in that as well. And start your gift shopping with a stroll through a unique holiday market this Saturday. This annual event brings over 80 local juried artisans, food vendors, live music, craft demonstrations, and more to one open air location here at the City Hall bar, uh, parking garage lower level. Um, uh, the holiday market is a perfect opportunity to find handcrafted gifts. Uh, the event is hosted by Shore Lake Arts, the Shoreline Farmers Market, and the City of Shoreline. And there is complimentary parking and shuttle available at Brotherton Cadillac across Aurora at 17545 Aurora Avenue North. And more information 
uh, about this really fun event is located um, or is available at shorelakeguards.org slash holiday market. And also on Saturday, uh, you can join Shoreline Walks in exploring the Briarcrest neighborhood and the Acacia Memorial Park. Uh, no need to sign up, just meet walk leader Dan at, at Shorecrest High School, uh, South Parking Lot, off of Northeast 153rd Street. There's some steep hills, so this walk is rated as being moderately difficult, but you can learn more about the walk at shorelinewa.gov slash shorelinewalks. And then finally, just some public meeting reminders. The next city council meeting will be next week, November 20th. Uh, the Planning Commission is holding a public hearing on Thursday, uh, November 16th at 7 p.m. on transit on the transit bus space and individual transportation and taxi facility development code amendments. And this meeting will be held in hybrid format at both City Hall and online via Zoom. And the full agenda on how to participate or comment on all of our public meetings, uh, you can visit the city's web calendar. And sorry, I missed it as well. The PRCSS tree board will have their next meeting on December 7th. Mayor, that's all I have. Thank you, Mr. Norris. Next up is council reports. Are there any council reports? All right, seeing none, next up is our first opportunity for public comment. We have a general public comment now, and then we have specific public comment uh, for two action items, uh, action items 8B and 8C. If you have comments related to those, one of which is the uh, park impact fee waiver and the other is a property purchase, please hold those comments until the designated comment time for those. During general public comment, we provide three minutes per uh, pre-registered remote speaker or in-person speaker to address us on matters of concern of the city. We've had a Zoom bomber recently, and I expect we're going to have it again tonight on remote public comment. It is three minutes to comment on issues of concern to the city, whether they're on the agenda or not. It is not an open mic. If the speech degenerates into hate speech or veers off topic into uh, areas that are not of interest to the city or its residents, then we will not uh, hesitate to mute. Do we have anybody signed up in person tonight? There are four people this evening. Lathan Wayne is first, then Angelina Vaughn, Tim Carroll, and Susan Greer. Thank you. And we ask that you begin your comments with your first name and city residence. If you have not signed up, there will be an opportunity to speak after everyone who has signed up is gone. Mr. Wayne. Good evening, Lathan Wayne Shoreline. Um, I'm here uh, on the behalf of the Advisory Council for Banchero Disability Partners. Um, Two of uh, my uh, fellow colleagues are here. Um, uh, Banchero is uh, an independent living uh, service uh, where people with special needs live. Uh, sometime uh, we would love to have you come and visit us and uh, we need to, uh, if you want to, uh, I have a number we can give you. Uh, uh, you can contact Carol Schalter at 367-7795. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Wayne. Angelina? Uh, good evening. Uh, I'm Angelina Vaughn, and my family has lived in the Ridgecrest area since 1998, with me being born in 2008. I currently go to Shorecrest High School as a sophomore. As you can see in the school districts, there are more children with families as of 2023 in Shoreline. We should make it a priority to keep them safe while walking on or around the streets. Every day, 
I cross an intersection next to Paramount Park to get to my bus stop. This is fine, but when it's 7 in the morning and dark out, it's not safe. No one can see you on a dark winter morning at 7. And if they do, it's not like they're going to stop anyways. Even walking home, only once in a while do cars actually stop when they see you. This is against the law. According to the Washington State Legislator, the operator of an approaching vehicle shall stop and remain stopped to allow a pedestrian, bicycle, or personal delivery device to cross a roadway within an unmarked or marked crosswalk. This is next to a park where so many people in the Ridgecrest neighborhood go to, and yet there isn't a blinking light for someone to signal or a traffic light to stop cars if they want to cross the street. All we have are orange flags that usually dis disappear. I live right across from Paramount Park and remember a few years ago that there were two car crashes in the same summer right at that intersection. This is not safe. My mom even called to bring awareness to the situation, leaving a message twice and got no response or acknowledgement of receiving a message for more than a week until she had to call for a third time. When I have to cross the road, I should have the right to feel safe and have cars stop for me. Let's have the community in mind. So many people cross this intersection. Do we really have to wait for something to happen until we do something? Thank you for your time. Thank you. Tim Carroll is next. My comments are with regards to property acquisition. Okay. So if, if you want to go now in, in order to leave, you're welcome to make your comments now. Um, but if it's, it's, it'll be more timely later on when we're addressing it. Okay, thank you. Susan Greer? Okay. All right. All right, we're now going to do the remote public comment, and then we'll open it up to anyone else in the audience who hasn't spoken. First public, uh, remote public comment, please. Okay, so the first person who signed up was Shlomo Cattleberg but I do not see that person in the list of attendees. So next is Derek Blackwell. Hello, this is Derek Blackwell. I live nearby the Madeira Project on Linden Avenue here again <clears throat> with a concern for long-term traffic hazards due to this project. Again, the plan calls for only one driveway connecting to the garage, and this is at one of the far ends of this very long building. The gentleman spoke before me last week. He was advised to hire an attorney to the tune of five to $10,000 to settle a property dispute. And if that's the unspoken assumption in regard to opposing land use actions, then it's profoundly undemocratic. Why an ordinary citizen can't pursue a legal challenge on their own if they put the needed work into it deserves a closer look. I was prepared to pay the fee and file an appeal pro se, even if it was likely to fail, simply to have city staff answerable rather than dodging questions. There's a long email chain of questions from myself and others I haven't shared with you yet, which went nowhere. So I consulted at least a dozen attorneys, including Tom McCormick, two traffic safety professionals and got ready. What killed it in the end was literally not being able to come up with the right form. And that's not a simple matter or a laughing matter. The law library has thousands of forms available my very knowledgeable attorney coach couldn't tell me it appears nobody has ever tried this in Shoreline. I called a few attorneys back. One of them said, wow, the law library clerk actually talked with you? Normally they just hang up on the phone on you if you're not a lawyer. And that is indeed what happened the first time. So that's standard stuff. Fascinating. I finally reached a helpful clerk who told me for this type of land use appeal, 
I would need to create my own form. Seriously? He gave me the call number of a reference book, which they don't have in Seattle, and said I would need to drive to Olympia and copy certain pages on which I could model my form. I called Olympia to ask about online alternatives. Nope. Well, that killed it for me. I'm at high risk for COVID. I was told the law library recommends masking, but this was no longer being enforced. Well, this was simply not worth getting long COVID for. I couldn't talk neighbors into making the drive. People helped in other ways. I had the arguments outlined. You've heard them. Several neighbors contributed. Maybe you read their recent comments. Another neighbor volunteered to be a process server and several others helped with proofreading and research. Then came the DNS. One, two, three, go. We have 21 days to file. We never dreamed of just, uh, just getting the process started would be this mysterious, and I had a round of apologies to make. I didn't expect it to be easy, but not even being able to get to step one because of something this obscure is just galling. Thank you for hearing me, and thank you for all you do in these difficult times. Thank you, Mr. Blackwell. Is there anyone else signed up for remote public comments? No one further, but I saw the person joined. All right, let's go ahead. Mr. Kattelberg? Hi, can you guys hear me? Yes. Hi, do I have to give my address or anything like that? Just your name and city of residence, please. Uh, Shlomo Kettleberg. I live in Shoreline on uh, Stone Avenue. Uh, I just want to say that um, I'm a veteran who served in our nation and sustained disabilities in the line of duty. I deeply cherish our constitutional uh, rights, especially the First Amendment, and I humbly request the opportunity to speak. So thank you. I enlisted in the United States Marine Corps driven by a profound sense of patriotism. My fellow service members and I took an oath to defend our nation against all threats, both foreign and domestic. However, it appears that our national attention leans heavenly towards international affairs, overshadowing the challenges we face right here at home. And upon my return from service, I grappled with financial challenges, receiving only an initial disability compensation of only $284, and I was not able to feed myself, let alone my family, since my disabilities from my military service keep me from gainful employment. It's striking to consider our president, Joe Biden, is committing treason by sending $75 billion in aid to Ukraine to kill European men, women, and children, while the residents of Maui, for instance, totaling around 165,000 residents, were just given $700 each, and that is only 0.153% of what he sent to Ukraine to kill women and children, or the fact that we sent $8 billion a year to Israel to commit war crimes instead of using that money to help our own people. That is treason, and I'd like to draw attention to Section 18 of the United States Code 2381, which outlines the punishment for treason, and it states whoever only an allegiance to the United States levies war against them or adheres to their enemies, giving them aid or comfort within the United States or elsewhere, is guilty of treason and is punishable by death. And it's a grave matter, and I believe it's essential to consider the implications of our actions, especially in the context of international aid and commitments over our own nation's citizens. And after returning from military service, I felt a deep commitment to understand the challenges facing our nation given the oath I took. This led me on a journey of research and I sought to understand the influences behind major decisions, including the vaccine mandates, the president administration, media ownership, school boards, and immigration policies. And I thought it was essential for any democratic society to critically examine the concentration of power and influence, and so I did. And if we observed a particular group dominating various sectors, it would naturally raise questions about representation and decision-making. Because you see, back in the 1950s, if all the people who owned the leverage of power were, were mostly Italians, everyone would say that our country is ran by an organized crime gang using mafia tactics.
tactics. But since it's now the dual citizenship Jews who are in the positions of power within mute, my please. nation, mute, it's considered please. to be a mute. coincidence. Mute, please. Go to GTV flat. Thank you. Is there anyone else signed up for remote public comment? No. All right. Thank you. Is there anyone in person who has not spoken who would like to? Thank you. Next up is the consent calendar. Deputy Mayor Robertson. And move approval of the consent calendar. Second that. Will the clerk please call the vote? Mayor Scully? Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson? Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale? Aye. Councilmember Mark? Aye. Councilmember Poby? Aye. Councilmember Roberts? Aye. All right, the consent calendar passes unanimously. Next up is action item 8A, which is action on ordinance number 998, amending the shoreline municipal code uh, related to transportation impact fees. Good evening, Council. Jeff Raker, Senior Transportation Planner and Public Works. I'm here before you to um, discuss a scheduled action on ordinance number 998, the Transportation Impact Fee Program. It's attachment A in your packets. Um, next. Sorry. So uh, we've had three previous council discussions on this topic, and in recognition of time, we have, I'll, I'll move quickly through this to council action and discussion around those actions and possible amendments. Um, council had a number of questions. Staff has provided responses to uh, those questions in our staff report, and we're on hand to provide clarification as needed. Hell of a day so far. Um, hell of a day so far. Hell of a day, hell of a day, hell of a day. Hell Pardon me. Uh, <laughs> proposed amendments uh, were discussed and submitted by council, and there is a mandatory language related to that that's been drafted by staff. Um, I did want to provide one point of clarification uh, that uh, tonight we are considering council action on Ordinance 998 that adopts the rate study project list and maximum allowable uh, rates. Um, it's a, uh, it changes from an assessment of trip generation based on vehicle trips to person trips, as well as a number of other factors that do not affect the actual monetary rates that are applied. Um, and on November 20th, um, Ordinance 995 will be advanced um, to, uh, to Council for adoption of the inflation adjusted TIF rates on the current rates. Those will be effective January 1st through 2024 to March 14th, 2024. And we anticipate presenting Council with a separate ordinance to set the actual TIF rates based on that maximum allowable rate in the rate study. Um, and we're scheduling Council discussion on January 22nd and action on February 5th. So tonight is related to the rate study project list, maximum allowable TIF rates. We are not addressing the monetary rates per land use. Um, ordinance. The ordinance contains new language uh, related to the rate study. So impact assessments will be um, evaluated based on person trips, not vehicle trips under this proposal. It changes the maximum allowable TIF rate and updates the list of projects to be funded. Um, there's a 15% uh, proposed rate reduction on TIF in high activity areas to represent the uh, lessened impact, uh, impact in transit rich areas uh, because of mode shift. 
as well as um, just the, the mode split and, and an intensification that's um, targeted for those areas per city policy. Um, and then maintaining our existing exemption for low-income housing, revisions to business exemptions that have been discussed, as well as an additional exemption for early learning facilities that does not require reimbursement by other city funds, and a number of other administrative and housekeeping amendments related. Um, so I'll move quickly and say staff recommended council, uh, recommends that council adopt Ordinance 999 as proposed, um, and council may propose amendments and adopt the ordinance as amended tonight. Um, and for possible amendments submitted in advance, we have the amendatory language available that can be referenced in making a motion. And I'll turn it over to council. Thank you. This is an action item, so we should start with a motion. Is there a motion related to this action item? <clears throat> I don't believe we're doing a public hearing on this matter. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you want to move for one. Okay. <laughs> Deputy Mayor. I move to adopt ordinance number 998, amending SMC chapter 3.80, transportation impact fees as recommended by staff in attachment A of tonight's report. Staff Second. Recommend. There's been a motion and a second. Would you like to speak to your motion? Sure. And I think I'm only going to speak once tonight and then, you know, let my votes speak for themselves. Um, I'm going to be supporting the, the ordinance as recommended by staff. And I realize that um, I have, there are going to be disagreements up here with my fellow council members. Um, I believe that we are a very, very well-intentioned council that has some great goals around affordable housing and other things. And I believe that this is not the way to achieve those goals. Um, I think our tendency is to get really, really deep into the weeds. And we are, by in my opinion, creating these sort of quirky Franken codes that are all but impossible to enforce. They are overly complicated. Uh, and I am going to lean heavily on staff's recommendation tonight. Uh, my votes on the upcoming amendments will reflect that. Thank you. Comment or amendments? Councilmember Pope. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, I read the response from uh, Assistant City Manager to Councilmember Ramsdale. I'm just curious, and I read the public comment from the CEO uh, Kathleen Hosford as well. I was just curious with the exemption, community land trust ownership developments. I think those are beneficial, but we don't, that's not happening in this particular uh, proposal. Is that correct? Uh, the exemption applied to the community land, land trust. trust. Yeah. Okay. Is, is under consideration to okay. Yes. That, that amendment can be. Thank you. Councilor Roberts. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Mayor, and thank you uh, to the staff for putting this together. This has been a lot of work, and um, it's uh, good to see the TIF list updated and getting this done, um, because you see, if we don't adjust it period periodically, we see what we, later on in this agenda, where we have a, a motion to change the park <laughs> list to allow for another uh, park that, or the creation of another park. And so this is something that needs to be done. I appreciate the work that's been done putting this together and I appreciate the uh, discussions we've had on council. I do want to say that um, I 
support the schedule of assuming this is adopted of taking a look at the actual fees and rates and I see that uh, the discussion of that is going to happen in February and I think that when we think about this I mean we we need to sort of see this in the light of tr really trying to develop the city that we want to see and to get and we have to recognize that to get there, I mean, we have, it's a, it's a balance. It is ultimately a balancing act. That um, if nothing happens, none of these fees that or none of these and we will not have funding for many of these projects. So there has to be a, a careful balance between sort of what our um, what our eyes believe that we want and what our stomach sometimes says that we actually can eat. So uh, I think, but that's a different discussion and for a different day. And so I look forward to discussing uh, any proposals, but I do support what the staff has put together and I think, want, really again, want to thank the staff for their work. Thank you, Mayor. Councilmember Mark. Thank you. Uh, I too would like to express appreciation for the staff who's clearly worked very hard at putting together this document. It's quite complicated. Uh, I had a question for Mr. Dahm. Is he available? Yes, he's uh, online, I believe. Uh, Mr. Dahm, one of the things that uh, the city manager said was is that uh, the, the effort in this TIF was to make a tool for the toolbox to get more of what the city of Shoreline would like to have, that, that vision that Councilmember Roberts was just speaking to. Could you talk about how you see that working with this TIF amendment? TIF, TIF program, excuse me, not amendment. Um, sure, so, and I, I, um, and I, you, are you referring to the, just the traffic impact fee program in general, or are we, I was anticipating more of a question about the business exemption, so I want to clarify yeah. what I, is it you were looking to hear from the, me about. The, the business and exemption, the uh, high capacity area, you know, the whole, the whole kind of thing, how does that help us from your perspective as uh, the economic person bring in businesses that we want to have and uh, allow money for and and people to feel comfortable doing what they want to do if you could just elaborate a little bit from your perspective how this would unpack the business environment happy happy to um, thanks for the question um, you know I think that it, it the the exemption in particular for for business was definitely crafted with a lot of discussion among staff, in particular, uh, you know, ref keeping in mind the the goal of increasing the inventory of business spaces in the city, which is an official, you know, city adopted, you know, policy in our economic development strategy, among others, you know, as you said, the high activity areas, um, and really the, the kind of many different um, uh, uh, sort of tailors, you know, tweaks that we've made to uh, what could otherwise just be a very simple monolithic proposal really are in reference to those different policies and goals listed in appendix e of the staff report so many existing city 
plans and goals are in place. And so again, sort of as, as city manager Ellington mentioned to you, um, it's intended to kind of get to, to tailor this to, to those existing uh, policy positions that the council has adopted. Um, and, and so certainly that is the goal. Um, and in particular, uh, you didn't ask this just now, but I, I know you emailed a couple of days ago asking about the sort of the funding component of it. So I did want to say that um, we do anticipate that if we're able to attract commercial development for all the reasons in the staff report, uh, we also can anticipate an increase in revenue to the city over and above the cost of servicing the new development. Whereas with residential development, what we find is that it's pretty, it's pretty close um, if not an overall cost, uh, despite the increased revenue from the increased density, there are costs and just for example, police, parks, recreation, et cetera. Whereas with commercial development, it's very similar in terms of the increased revenue or if not much greater, um, but without those sorts of demands on our services that require an increase in our services to a, to a growing residential population. And so those are some of the things that are we have in mind um, and so potentially those funds are, are, would be an opportunity for a way to refill those uh, funds that we are obligated to make up for when it comes to those, those TIF exemptions. Thank you. And that was my second question. So I really appreciate uh, your elaborating on both. Um, that's very helpful. Thank you. Other questions, comments, or motions? Councilmember Povey. As we discussed last month, uh, I think October 16th, I was, I see more clarifying comments here though. But what I'm curious about, or what I'm now seeing in black and white at this point is the, the returns, the benefits. In uh, last, last week's meeting, we saw uh, the projections, the budgets. And through that, we saw, well, possibly there will be decrease in revenue for REIT. But I see REIT is captured in here as possible, you know, something coming out of that, which is not what we heard last week. And so I just want to be clear. We are just adopting the code amendment, which in turn affects the rate. Or are we going to really study the rate before we vote on it? We are not setting the rate tonight. Just the amendment? Yes. Thank you. Other questions or comments or motions? I have a question. Uh, I'd, I'd like to move uh, on amendment number two. Would now be that time Now's to do time. it? time. Okay. All right. Um, uh, I move to modify the recommended code amendments to SMC Chapter 3.8 by adding a new section to SMC 3.80.070 specific to affordable housing provided by community land trusts that specifies housing proposed by a community land trust shall be entitled to an exemption of impact fees, transportation impact fees for, for the affordable housing units under the following conditions. It counts, council member. Yeah. I will not make you read the entire page. Okay, great, I think it's, great. it's sufficient to identify the language on the great. screen is your motion. Yeah, I was concerned okay. I was gonna have yes. to say the no, whole thing, so yeah. thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so you are moving the, the language that's on the screen. Yes, correct. Right. Is there a second to that motion? I will second that for discussion. Council All right. Thank you, Mayor. Um, so um, I, I think many of my uh, colleagues on the dais are familiar with community land trusts, and I think staff is as well. But I, I have just a little something I'd like to 
a little description of it for the public, for public benefit. Um, so uh, community land trusts, uh, CLTs, do something that no other tool in Shoreline's housing policy toolbox does. It allows families in the 50% to 80% area medium income bracket to buy homes and build wealth. The affordability of community land trust homes is achieved by a trust retaining ownership of the land. A family or individual purchases a house on the land owned by the CLT. The purchase price is more affordable, typically 30 to 50% of market rate, because the homeowner only buys the house, not the land. When CLT homeowners sell the home, they do it at a restricted price to keep it affordable in perpetuity. When there isn't enough public subsidy to offer 100% of the CLT homes as affordable, CLTs will offer a portion, typically no more than a third of the development, at market rates as a form of internal subsidy. Homeowners build wealth in two ways. Through the forced savings gained by paying down the principal balance of their mortgage, and through the share of home price appreciation allocated to them under a resale formula. Typically, it's about 1.5% per year. So for example, if there was somebody who bought a, a, a home uh, for $200,000 um, under this program, uh, in 10 years, they would have 32% of equity. Instead of, as a, and if they're putting that money towards a rental um, unit, they have no equity. This has an opportunity for people to buy equity. And then, and then uh, you know, and then possibly purchase a home in the market once they sell that CLT home. Reductions or waivers of impact fees are one of the many tools um, in the city toolkit for encouraging local development of community land trust home ownership. This proposal is a step our city can take as it seeks to build a set of resources that will encourage affordable and attainable home ownership opportunities. This is not the only step, but it can be a great step towards uh, future progress. So I urge my fellow council members who have not already kind of expressed their their uh, position on the amendment um, to support this as a first step towards affordable home ownership in Shoreline. Thank you so much. Other questions or comments related to the amendment or amendments to the amendment? Councilmember Roberts. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Um, there are is definitely great value in community land trusts. Um, my question is are community land trusts already defined in the Shoreline Municipal Code, or do they need to be defined in the Shoreline Municipal Code? For that question, I'll have to turn to our uh, attorney, uh, Julie, I believe is online, is that correct? We did include a definition for community land trust oh. and for affordable housing ownership, set at 38% of the AMI, or 38% of 80, AMI and then change the definition of affordable for low, lower income standards. Did you not have a slide with the definitions on it? Council Member, Mayor, if I may, was your question though, is it already included as a definition? It was, is it already included? And I think the answer to that is no, it is not already included. And are, is it, are these definitions on this slide now, are they sit in the definitions of the general um, the general definitions of our development code or are they set within this particular definition of TIF? They would go into the TIF to 3.80. But not into? The development code, no. They're, this is just where right now we're only amending 3.80. But I guess the question is should they be in the development code as well? 
I think I got my. <laughs> I, do, I don't know if we're. I mean, just this me. Um, we probably wouldn't look at, at it as an actual land use to put within the development codes that would have maybe its own um, parameters around it and own specifications. It would probably fall more into like a cottage housing development or even an attached uh, single family. Does that make sense? Mayor, if I may, I know staff did grapple with some of these questions. Uh, we don't currently have any community land trusts in the in the community, so, and it's not something as, as the, the Assistant City Attorney mentioned, um, is contemplated in our in our land use codes or in the in the development regulations, and so we were, you know, uh, for this amendment drafting uh, definitions and trying to look at what how we could best define a community land trust, um, and so it's definitely some you know a newer a newer um, a newer housing structure that uh, isn't something that's been contemplated in our code pr prior. Okay, thank you. I, I think I'm going to. Um, be opposed to this amendment at this moment because I think we need to put it in I think we need to put it in our land use code first as a land use and then come back and perhaps at the same time amend this code to include the, the these um, exemptions in the TIF. I, I think that's the way to go procedurally so that the community can really discuss what It sounds like there needs to be something in the development code, and so I think that that would be the way to go, rather than the, this way. Thank you, Mayor. Deputy Mayor. Yeah, I just want to say, I community land trusts are a beautiful thing, and I hope they come to Shoreline, um, and I hope maybe we consider putting a budget item in to address this. What we are trying to accomplish here. This is these are transportation impact fees. I, I think it's misplaced to try to stick all of this, um, all of this code amendment language about uh, community land trusts into the transportation impact fees. I think we should focus on, you know, again, what the staff has put forward and what the purpose is. And if we want to support community land trusts, and I really, really do, I'd like to see it done in a more appropriate, more very direct way that isn't overcomplicating our code. Thank you. Councilmember Mark. Um, as usually, as usual, beautifully stated, uh, Council Member or Deputy Mayor uh, Robertson. My question is from staff: Is if we did what uh, Council Member Roberts suggested, uh, not do it right now? When would we do it? When could it be on the agenda? When would we talk about land trust? Uh, development regulations and. Uh, Changes to Title 20 be done by our planning department. So typically, that would either be done through a batch development code amendment or come back, uh, obviously through the planning commission. Uh, so I would need to check in with our planning director on the timing for that. Um, I can't give you an answer now of, of when this would be. I don't believe I mean, we didn't do a batch development code amendment in 2023. Uh, I know planning department again is focused on uh, amending our comprehensive plan next year as well. So uh, I, we can check to see if there is going to be a batch development code amendment in 2024, but definitely this would be a 2024, if not later, item, most likely. So um, just trying to, it, this is a can I think we all really support um, for community land trusts. If we do nothing now, then uh, it's, the city is saying that it's a 
2024 comes back up or that we could talk about it more holistically as discussed or it, it needs to be on the work plan and that's something we would discuss at the annual retreat and i i will caution that we have a lot of other things that are important so. to us too so i i think with all due respect to mr norris i think 2024 is is ambitious while council could set that policy direction i believe it would mean setting other projects that we previously prioritized aside prioritized aside so so it may be more likely further out than 2024. yeah uh yeah i mean i would concur with the mayor on that and again i would want to check in with uh, our planning department they have an established work plan obviously through uh, uh through the planning commission process as well and so um I could absolutely follow up on the on the timing of that and bring that back to council. So, so perhaps I can ask a different question: Is there harm in adopting this? Now, if we if we said we wanted to proceed, is there some harm? I, no, I don't believe there is harm. Again, we did our best to try and craft an amendment, and again, this is an exemption to transportation impact fees for this specific type of housing, and so um, there isn't. I don't believe there is harm. Um, as the assistant city attorney said, this definition would live within the transportation impact fee code section. Um, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily tick and tie with the use of where uh, where those would go uh, in our development code, as Councilmember Roberts mentioned. But um, I don't believe there's harm in adopting this amendment from a land use perspective. Thank you, Councilmember Pobi. Any comments? No, no. All right, so I, I had a couple. So I'm going to vote in favor of this, and I, I think we, we highlighted the overall policy debate. I think it's probably better when we approach a new thing like community land trust, something we sort of just heard about, to do it all in one go and to say we've got TIF, we've got park impact fees, we've got this, we've got that. We're going to address community land trusts and make changes to every part of the code. Get that. Um, but we have annual conferences every year, and we come up with great ideas and staff implements them and it often takes years. So I don't, I don't like the idea that this definition is going to live in the TIF. Um, and if we ultimately do make other changes, these come out and get it put somewhere else. Um, but Councilmember Mork's last comment I thought, last question I thought was apt. I don't see the harm to doing this. And this telegraphs that this is something we're interested in. And if we get folks saying, we want to do this in your community, thanks for the TIF, but what are these other nine things? Then it may become more of a, an emergency as opposed to ground floor retail and other stuff that, that right now is what we think is the, is the priority. In response to Deputy Mayor's comment, it is a Franken code, but it's a Franken code that was set on priorities from before my time. I don't know where they came from. So we're exempting auto dependent businesses from the transportation impact fee based upon, I think, a desire to encourage economic development. We're not exempting private affordable housing or community land trusts. Private affordable housing, I have no idea why. Community land trusts, because we hadn't heard of them 10 years ago. So if we want to get rid of the Franken Code, I think we get rid of all the exemptions, but just not being willing to modify the ones that are in place because they're already there, to me, doesn't sit super well. So. I hope this passes. I hope some other stuff passes. I'm not inclined to just rubber stamp the code as it is and go forward with it. I think that would be a mistake. Any other questions or comments or amendments to the amendment on the amendments? Councilman Roberts. Uh, thank you, Mayor. I just want to say that um, we do, the big thing in terms of planning next year is a comprehensive plan. And so, I mean, there was opportunities to talk about community land trusts in the, in, the, in, the, in the comprehensive plan. It may not get the specific definitions, but 
um, there is that we do have that opportunity. It's <laughs> it's a pretty big book we have next year, so uh, I think there's a lot of things that we can work through uh, as a council and with the planning commission and with staff. Thank you, Mayor. Anything else? All right, we're voting on the amendment only. Will the clerk please call the vote on the amendment? Mayor Scully. Aye. Councilmember Poby. Aye. Councilmember Roberts. Aye. <laughs> Councilmember Mork. <laughs> Councilmember Mork. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale. Aye. Council Deputy Mayor Robertson. Dissenting. Nay. All right, so we have, we have, uh, sorry, we're, we're down one, so we have five ayes with one really a maybe um, and, and one nay, so the motion passes. The uh, main motion is amended uh, with, with motion, with uh, a mandatory motion number two. I noted that the language of the screen that's up right now says the following definitions are needed to implement an exemption. Is that definition part of the motion? It is. Okay, yes, all right. the, the, so, so the motion includes two slides. The motion includes two slides. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Councilmember Povey. Amendment three and four goes together. I want to skip that three because that is total elimination. So I want to go with four. I like the redaction to go from 15 to 5% and then 95%. Is there a second? Second for the uh, purpose of discussion. Right. Councilmember. Thank you. First of all, I, again, I don't see in the paragraph staff says we are uncertain as to how this is going to help in any way. And so I, I'm not convinced with that. And so if we are given something now, we should absolutely know what we are getting back. And I still I'm not convinced as to where we are giving 15 percent. We are uncertain about what we get in return. So let's test the waters with a little. When we see so much interest, we can now increase that. That's why I'm going for this. Thank you. And, and I apologize, Councilmember, but the, the motion asks for you to supply a percentage. Um, so there's an X in there. I think we need a number from you. Yeah, 15%, 2%, 5%. 5 is what okay. I said. Oh, and you, then, yeah, 85 to 95%. Thank okay. you. All right, further questions or comments on the motion to amend? Will the clerk please call the vote? Yes. Councilmember Poby. Aye. Councilmember Mark. Nay. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Nay. Mayor Scully. Nay. Councilmember Roberts. No. And Councilmember Ramsdale. Nay. The motion fails five to one. Are there any further, uh, is there any further discussion or amendments? All right, seeing none, will the clerk please call the vote on the main motion as amended? Yes. I have to find it in here. Here we go. Okay. Mayor Scully. Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. Councilmember Poby. Aye. Councilmember Mork. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale. Aye. Councilmember Roberts. Aye. All right, the main motion as amended passes unanimously, which brings us to action item 8B, which is action on ordinance number 1001 related to park impact fees. Mr. Borer and Ms. Lane.
pull it up for you. Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. Thank you for having me. Uh, purpose of this meeting is to get with you and talk about considering to propose the amendment to Shoreline Municipal Code Section 3.7.0. This would allow for the use of park impact fees to address park and open space needs in, Hill, in the Hillwood neighborhood. Um, just a brief overview, uh, since we're asking you to basically waive council rule procedure 6.1.b uh, provide you a brief of the staff report move into public comment discussion and potentially adoption so as you know or read in the staff report uh, the creation of the park impact fees was driven by the parks and recreation open space plan of 2017 along with the Along with that, park impact fees rate study was done concurrently, and park impact fees may only be used uh, for growth and projects that add capacity to the city's park system. The 2017 PROS plan and PIF rate study also established a list of priorities and the system improvements projects eligible for use uh, for the use of park impact fees. Um, so tonight we're here proposing Ordinance 1001, which would amend the list of park impact fee eligible projects to include park acquisition and park development projects in the Hillwood neighborhood. While the Hillwood neighborhood is not uh, included as a property in the project in the area of growth at the time of 2017 pros plan and PIF rate study, uh, we're now seeing ex extensive growth and development along the rare corridor. And it's happened much faster than we've expected. Um, development of high density housing has started making this a higher priority in which we need to acquire and develop more parkland for the growing population uh, the hillwood neighborhood continues to be have a lack of parkland and open space and you can see the the map on the slide there is a proposed for the new pros study it shows walkability and you can kind of see that blue area in the hillwood area and there's lack of parks there um, so there are no resource or financial impacts to, for implementing this proposed ordinance. So staff would recommend that council waive council rules of procedure 6.1.B and take action to adopt ordinance number 1001 this evening. Thank you. And we are having uh, public testimony tonight. I want to ask one clarifying question before public testimony. Does passage of this ordinance require us to purchase the property at 19028 8th Avenue, which is the subject of the next agenda item? No, it does not require us. It just provides us with the ability to do so. All right. That's a separate action item. Correct. Correct. Completely okay, separate you. action. All right. I'm now going to open the public hearing. This is an opportunity for members of the public to comment on this agenda item. Um, we ask. Uh, speakers to uh, begin with their name and city of residence and limit themselves to three minutes. Is there anyone signed up in advance? Yes, we have two people, Tim Carroll and Susan Greer. Is that for well, C or B? Oh, 
That's a good question. It, it's, <laughs> if you're ready to go, go. Yeah. No, no, ask the question. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, the amending the map to include the area yeah, and not the specific yeah, my comments part. on the acquisition pro property. For the exact property? Okay, right. that's yeah. the next item. Okay, very okay. good. So no. Is there anyone who wants wishes to address this agenda item, which is expanding the map to enable the purchase of properties within that area? All right, seeing none, I'm going to close the public hearing. It's, it's an action item. Do we have a, action, a, motion, a motion from council? Move to adopt ordinance number 1001 as presented. Is there a second? Second. Councilmember? I think it's in order. Who would need that? Thank you. Any further discussion? Yeah. Will the clerk please call the vote? Mayor Scully. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale. Aye. Councilmember Bork. Aye. Councilmember Poby. Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. And Councilmember Roberts. Did you want to? This We're is voting. a vote on ordinance number 1001. 1001. Oh. <laughs> okay. Has Councilmember Roberts voted? He voted aye. Okay. All right. The motion passes unanimously. Next up is action item 8C, which is action on the purchase of real property located at 19028 8th Avenue Northwest. I did ask. Sorry. Sorry. Ma'am, Mayor, may I make a comment that would not have affected my vote sure. on the last item? Yeah. I, I guess I, what I would have asked is whether or not we need to take a look at other areas in our community that are ripe for this expansion should opportunities come up. Like where are the other holes in our map? Uh, and so I guess that's something that I would hope that the staff would just be proactively looking for. A great question. Um, yes, there is, and we're looking at updating. So part of the PROSA plan, we're really looking at this and updating this. Another hole that comes to mind is kind of Parkwood. Um, so just a little bit east of 99 and a little bit north of 145th, there's kind of a hole there too. So we're looking everywhere, obviously Westminster. So. And Parkwood does have like that area just yeah. east. So yeah, yes, there is, and we need to look. We're certainly looking in those areas. Thank you, Mr. Poor. Mr. Dow. All right, uh, Mayor, Deputy Mayor and Council, good to be with you this evening. We are going to uh, have another uh, item for your uh, action under Council Rules of Procedure 61B. And that is the purchase property located at 19028 8th Avenue Northwest for park purposes. 
little bit dinner, different interface tonight. Okay, there we go. So I won't belabor the details that are in the staff report, just a quick high-level overview of how we got here. Um, the planning um, in the existing parks recreation and open space plan, identifying the needs and uh, the efforts to keep pace with growth, and part of that uh, done through sustainable funding, so uh, establishing park impact fees, and these are fees collected on development, similar to the transportation impact fees you just heard about, having growth pay for growth, where uh, developers uh, pay these fees for every new unit of housing, uh, for most most types of housing built in the city, uh, in order for us to keep pace with the, the demand of a growing population. Um, and so this particular property that's before you this evening came on the market uh, just last month, and uh, as soon as staff became aware of it, we um, con consulted with council in an executive session and shared the opportunity. We uh, did make an offer. It was among a, a handful of competing offers, and our uh, escalator clause was necessary in order for that uh, for us to be able to compete with two other buyers. The property uh, is in permitting, and it has permits that are basically ready to pick up to build five new homes on the parcel. Um, and it, uh, it, it, we believe that it's very likely that if the city does not go through with the purchase, that would be the most likely scenario. Um, the uh, price, as you see there, is above the list price. But again, that was a competitive uh, purchase and sale scenario. Um, additionally, the grant funding that we will be talking about in the next uh, couple of slides does not allow for purchasing through uh, eminent domain, just through voluntary uh, negotiated purchase and sale. So just a little bit more about the parcel. It is adjacent to Hillwood Park. Um, it's a, a 7.75 acre, so it's a, a, a meaningful addition to the park, but of course also would provide this connectivity um, for folks who live west of the park. And as uh, was just discussed in the previous item, and as we'll look at in, a, in another example of that map, it is an underserved area of the city. And I just kind of glossed over the mature trees that the uh, city has identified, I believe 33 trees on the property. Many of them are very large and uh, very large and mature trees. And so being able to preserve that, that canopy in the area is an important uh, driver for this one as well. So again, just the, the permits uh, that are in, in uh, the approval process or ready uh, for pickup should someone decide to buy it instead of us and, and build uh, would be ready. They'd be ready to get those permits and build uh, relatively quickly. And just again, uh, looking at Hillwood in general compared to other neighborhoods in the city, uh, you can see 1.8 acres per thousand where the NRPA recommends a range somewhere between six and 10 roughly acres per thousand, uh, sort of depending on the types of park uses. Again, just showing that it's a bit of a dead zone, despite being adjacent to a park. Um, these are these are homes that are not within even a 10-minute walk of a park or school, um, and you can kind of see that tan color. The five-minute walk to a park or school otherwise surrounds the park, but because that whole side of the park is all private property, it makes it uh, quite a long walk for folks on that side of the park. 
So uh, just a quick summary of the financial impact. Total cost, this includes the purchase price as well as some estimated closing costs and demolition costs, brings it to a total of $1.86 million. As I said, we will be approaching the King County Conservation Futures Tax Grant Program to apply for funds, which if awarded would cover up to 75% of the costs and park impact fees are uh, Fortunately, this just became true a few minutes earlier uh, because of the amended ordinance uh, amendment with ordinance number 1001. Uh, this would be eligible for park impact fees. So, our proposed action, our recommendation is to authorize this uh, transaction. It's a fully executed purchase and sale agreement, but it does require one more step, and that would allow us to proceed to closing. Um, if you choose tonight to give the city manager that uh, authorization. And so I prepared a motion um, to make it easy. And then as I mentioned before, under procedures of uh, rules of procedure 61B, staff report followed by public comment. And then I'll remain here for any questions or discussion. All right, thank you. Now we're gonna open up the public hearing. We ask that you limit your comments to three minutes and start with your name and city of residence. Mr. Carroll. It's my third time up here. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, thank you for allowing me to address this issue. Uh, we attended, a number of our citizens attended the meeting on the 4th uh, that was in the park. Uh, and we all walked away there probably shaking our heads more because we really didn't receive the answers we were looking for. And that it was primarily justification for the city to pay the amount of monies we're talking about for was then turned as a pathway between 8th Avenue and Hillwood Park. Now, from that, a big question came out of my mind, well, was the pathway necessary or did the property come up and then we create the demand? And I think that's a question you need to ask yourselves. I don't see any citizen demand for this, this acquisition. You're talking about nearly $2 million here. And that's money that we pay out of our pocket to fund these projects. I'm all for parks, but this isn't really a park. This is a pathway between 8th Avenue and Hillwood Park that is really not justified. People walk around the community, uh, the QFC, around the Hillwood Park. Hillwood Park is not a very populated park, and the reason for that, there are infrastructure problems in that park, as you, I'm sure you all well know. There, there's a fair amount of drainage issues uh, for probably half the year. You also have an issue of school children coming through and to and from that area. And if that property is acquired, I can assure you that homeless will occupy it shortly thereafter. That issue in alone, just by itself, should be of concern to you folks. We have so many problems in this city. Why are we trying to create more? Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Crown. My name is Susan Greer. I live at 193148th Avenue Northwest. Um, I'm very opposed to this uh, path or trail, however you want to call it. Um, the property taxes that, that are imposed on the residents of Shoreline, I find spending this kind of money for a trail is not good judgment for the individuals that are supposed to be running the city. 
I live down the street from this property. If you don't think that this won't attract the homeless and drug abuse, then I'm disappointed in you as leaders. Unless you are in the process of hiring more law enforcement people, then I retract my statement. The question that I have is, there, is there a reason why our citizens of Hillwood and Shoreline can't walk around to this park? I, I see people walk on 8th Avenue all the time, walk, walk, walk. I can't believe that these people can't walk around the block to a park. Um, the subject of homes being built there with a trail that goes by their homes, not sure how long that they're going to like that. Also, I can barely get out of my driveway as it is, so I don't think we need more homes on that street. I have many concerns about spending this kind of money on a, on tra uh, on a path or a trail, as you want to call it. I hope you guys reconsider this. Thank you. Thank you. Is anyone else signed up for remote public for uh, in-person public comment? No. Remote. Not for this item. Is there anyone in the audience who has not yet spoken who would like to address the council on this agenda item? All right. Seeing that, I'm going to close the public uh, hearing and open it up as an action item. Is there a motion? Deputy Mayor. I move that we approve the purchase of real property located the approved the acquisition of the property located at 19028 8th Avenue Northwest, identified by the tax parcel number as listed on page one of the staff report, and authorize the city manager to take the necessary steps to complete the property purchase. Second. Deputy Mayor. Sure. Go. Um, well, for those of you in the audience, you've already heard that I'm comfortable speaking unpopular opinions and uh, don't always agree with my council members. Um, I thought I could actually directly answer some of the questions that were posed tonight and the public comment. Um, I see this as so much more than a pathway. Calling it just a pathway is truly a disservice to what this would be. And you know, week in, week out, Excuse we hear their they were. <clears throat> thank you. Uh, week in, week out, we also hear from individuals in our community who um, would put a price tag much, much higher on this than on the, the trees alone that we would be preserving um, on that property that would contribute to the canopy or maintain the canopy rather than leaving them fall victim to any development that might come up. And regarding whether or not this need was created, no, I firmly believe no. And one of the maps that was shown in the present presentation tonight um, showed the walkability map and that there are clearly, maybe not on 8th Avenue, but beyond, um, there are neighborhoods that don't have access to a 15-minute walk to their local park. Um, and that's one of our goals. That is a stated goal that we have um, for our park system and for the people who live in our community. So the dollars um, also in the presentation was the consideration of conservation futures funds, potentially up to 75% that this could be eligible for. Um, so while there is an initial outlay, uh, there also is a high probability that we'll be recouping some of those, do so those dollars. So um, for those reasons and, and so, many, so many more, um, I support the acquisition of this property to expand our park system. Other comments? Uh, 
Councilmember Roberts. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I, like uh, the Deputy Mayor, I support this project and encourage us moving forward. I do have a couple questions um, about the project and uh, sort of what else is happening at Hillwood. And so when I look at the design for Hillwood, there are lots of improvements that are being made to Hillwood Park because of the Parks Bond. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And one of those projects, I believe, is a sort of an outer loop path. Is that part of the current design of the project? Yes, it is. And the design includes drainage and includes uh, addressing some of the flooding issues that we've heard about. And uh, one of the other concerns we've heard tonight is the concerns about um, illicit behavior that may happen on at parks property. We've had the, these problems at other parks and we have a, we use a septed method to sort of discourage and make sure that uh, our parks are open and accessible and comfortable for for park patrons. Can you sort of describe what that process would look, might look like? Sure, for that I'll defer to Park Fleet and Facilities Manager, Nick Bohr, sure. teach us a little bit about septed. Thank you, Councilmember Roberts. So, it's really designed, so design of the park to discourage those activities that you don't want to happen. Uh, so, you know, like shrubbery at the beginning of the park um, that would be removed so you'd be able to see into the park. Um, activation, just activating. This will activate this property. It's my opinion that uh, with the, the increased traffic we'll get through this, um, opening this up. Um, it's my opinion that we'd have less homeless issues there um, because it would be so active. The kids would use it to get to school. The bond project, we're putting a new spray park in there. Uh, just It just increases access. The mature trees, there's a redwood on there, you know, a, a giant sequoia. Um, it's just an incredible find. And we're really excited about it. So opening the park from the e from the west would uh, connect with the exist with the planned uh, interior uh, trails and loops that would go there. Correct. It, it would fit it in per yep. fit in nicely. Some of the uh, concerns about sort of openness to the park may be addressed by uh, clearing out shrubbery and other uh, other ways to sort of make the space active and comfortable. Exactly. Um, so make thoroughfares through there. We can even look at lighting opportunities uh, for walking through there. Um, other things they do, just, just activating it, uh, adding benches, picnic tables, so. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Other questions or comments? Uh, sorry, yeah, Councilor Pogging. Thank you. So when I looked at the aerial shot of, of the whole thing, I was very impressed with the amount of trees, as uh, Deputy Mayor pointed out. I would rather preserve the trees than have another developer come and tear down everything there. And so, um, totally support that. Thank you. Councilor Moore. So, on, on, I appreciate that they're, they are permit ready practically to build five homes if we do not buy it. If we do buy it, there is the, those five homes do not get built, correct? That's correct. Unless you. that's you choose a different route than what we're recommending. But no, no. I mean, if we if if we and, do buy it, this there and, was there was some mention in the public comment that there there we didn't need additional homes right in that area, and I wanted to make sure that that is clear that this would be an either or 
yes and <laughs> situation and, and all kidding aside if we do apply for conservation futures tax and and if we're awarded the conservation futures tax funding there becomes right on the deed of the property a requirement that it remain permanent open space into perpetuity so no matter whoever owns it after us or if we ever sold it, 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 it can no longer ever be developed. The giant Sequoia stays. Thank you. Councilor Ramstel. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I'm also in support um, of, this of this acquisition. Um, uh, Hillwood was, has been identified as one of the neighborhoods that's been lacking um, access to public open space. We know how public open space can contribute to um, our physical and mental health and build community. Um, uh, you know, the the uh, National Recreation and Parks Association recommends between about seven and 10 acres of public open space per thousand population and Hillwood is only at 1.8. Um, the last the last we uh, last time staff evaluated uh, access to um, um, acreage of uh, per, per thousand population. So uh, this will do, uh, this will also provide access from the west side um, for, for neighbors who have had difficult time accessing Hillwood from that west, west side of the park. So I, I'm very much in favor of uh, this acquisition. Thank you so much. Further questions or comments? Will the clerk please call the vote? Council Member Roberts. Aye. Council Member Povey. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale. Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. Councilmember Mork. Aye. Mayor Scully. Aye. All right. The motion passes unanimously, which moves to study item 9A, discussing the city of Shoreline 2024 state legislative priorities. Ma'am, you need not to disrupt. Mr. Hammond. He's joining. He's joining. Okay. Good evening. My apologies for the delay. Let me share my screen. Thank you very much, Council. We are here this evening uh, to allow you to discuss the proposed uh, draft 2024 state legislative priorities. And presenting today along with me is our lobbyist. Uh, we've been very fortunate to work with Deborah Munguia for uh, a number of years now uh, in our campaigns in Olympia. Uh, Deborah, if you want to just introduce yourself briefly. Thank you, Jim. Um, hello, Council Mayor. Nice to see you virtually. Um, as Jim mentioned, I've been working with the City of Shoreline since 2018, and it's been my privilege to work with the, the city. You do some amazing work, and you're highly respected in Olympia. So um, that that goes a long way. And just real quickly, um, prior to starting Capital Consulting, I was the Governmental Relations Director for a statewide trade association that represented large forest landowners in the state. 
and I did that for about 11 years. And then um, before that, I worked in state government, including 10 years at the State Department of Natural Resources, where one of my uh, responsibilities was to develop a habitat conservation plan for forest practices for private landowners. So I'm happy to be here tonight. Thank you, Deborah. And and as as Deborah noted, uh, Shrine is respected in Olympia, and we've had some notable successes over the last few years. And a key reason for that is the level of engagement and involvement we have from uh, you, Council, as as elected officials who are take the time and energy to engage with your fellow elected officials who are serving in Olympia, and those relationships and the value of those relationships cannot be understated. And part of what allows them to be so successful is there's consistent messaging. There's a city, there's seven voices, but they're speaking as one because we we craft these legislative agendas every year that really capture your policy priorities and, and fit into the flow of what's happening in Olympia. Uh, so if, if you care about an issue that has no presence in Olympia, that might not be something that makes it onto the agenda. On the other hand, if we know things are coming, we're going to definitely want you to have a thought and and to provide direction on those as we go into it. And so that's the purpose of the agenda. Because it's a fluid and dynamic legislative environment, these priorities allow us to engage and make representations to staff and legislators in Olympia to engage you for timely and effective conversations that enables us to advance these goals and and partner with other key partners, not just the Sound Cities Association, the Association of Washington Cities, but other individual cities. We've had coalitions in the past that have, have led to some constructive policy outcomes for, for us and for the region. Uh, Deborah, you wanna take it here? Sure, so um, in January, we are starting what we call a short 60-day session the legislature, um, in odd years, the legislature has a long session where they develop their their operating capital transportation budgets. And in the even years, they do supplementals to those budgets and they address some policy issues as well. Uh, next week, the State Economic and Revenue Forecast Council is going, going to be releasing its quarterly state revenue forecast. And then shortly after that, we're anticipating maybe the week of December 11th, the governor will be releasing his proposed supplemental budgets. And then um, throughout the process, the House and the Senate will be developing their proposed budgets um, sometime after the February revenue forecast. And then it will all come together, hopefully, um, by March 7th, which is when the session is scheduled to end. They. Um, usually have a more targeted focus on policy issues. Pre-filing of bills begins next month, so we'll see which new bills get pre-filed, but then all of the bills that didn't pass last session will automatically be reintroduced. So those are still on the table and we do expect to see some of those come back. Um, in addition, there are some ballot measures, some initiatives to the legislature, and if they get enough signatures, um, and the legislature decides they want to propose alternatives to some of those ballot measures that could keep them busy as well. So session starts on January 8th and um, it's scheduled to end on March 7th. And we're very fortunate, Deborah keeps close track, provides updates, and as, as any interesting things evolve, we'll, we'll be keeping council updated as well through the regular city manager 
uh, update process. Uh, Deborah, why don't you talk a little bit too about our the priorities we're hearing from our partners across the state? Okay, so um, Shoreline's very involved in uh, and active in the work that AWC does and helps influence the work that AWC does, um, especially in, in some really key areas to the city. And so um, they're, they're viewed as a resource by AWC. AWC has um, several priorities and some of them are uh, very much of interest to the city of Shoreline, including behavioral health, um, providing greater access to behavioral health, behavioral health services and facilities across the state. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more in one of the next slides. They're also looking at crafting legislation around the public safety sales tax to allow councilmanic authority of the local option um, public safety sales tax and provide greater flexibility of that revenue, increase wages for officers, uh, funding for related programs like behavioral health co-response teams. Um, and if you're interested in knowing some of the details of that, I'm, I'm happy to provide that. Um, it, it would be an optional thing. Um, the councils could still go out to the voters if they um, wanted to, but this bill would give them the authority to do it councilmanically. And then um, also the funding would expand access to um, the man state mandated training. Um, so it would increase the DLEA classes and expand the new regional academies. And then um, the, the perennial issue of lifting the property tax cap. And we're going to be talking more about that as well. But there were a couple of bills that were introduced last session and um, they didn't make it over the finish line, but there is a concerted effort to um, try and get that to happen next session. Thank you, Deborah. And, and yeah, so often uh, if you watch legislative activity over time, you will see that it takes one or two or three sessions even to get some traction, to get some momentum around policy issues. So another reason having consistent year to year legislative priority, legislative agenda, uh, just allows us to continue to keep our shoulder to the wheel where we want to uh, on, on issues of interest to us. So given that uh, in, in the past couple of years, we've had some significant successes in terms of funding for parks facilities, funding for transportation facilities, including the 148th non-motorized bridge. Uh, coming into a short session with a constrained budget, we're looking at, at a smaller range of opportunities. There are some possible uh, future parks that uh, where we're looking at uh, acquiring land and, and needing design and, and the public engagement to do park design that we are gonna be putting forward to see if they have traction with our delegation for a potential local community project um, uh, infusion of cash this session. That's TBD and it, it's really kind of a co collaborative process between the members of council, uh, the, the staff ideas and the members of the delegation as uh, they sort of juggle the, the many requests that come through their doorway when when uh, folks are seeking uh, funding for worthy projects. So moving on, some of the key policy issues here, I'm gonna let Deborah speak to them. She alluded to them a moment ago. These will probably be some of the key areas we're focusing on in the coming uh, 60 day session. Deborah. So transit oriented development, TOD legislation was one of those bills that um, got a lot of discussion last session, but it, it did not pass. And a tremendous amount of work has been done during the interim on this particular issue. Um, and in fact, the, the city of Shoreline hosted a, a, one of the stops in a legislative tour recently 
to talk about transit-oriented development and what the city is doing. And they, they also looked at a number of other cities because there is going to be legislation introduced um, on this topic again. And so Shoreline's been very much involved in um, one of the drafts that we've already seen. And we've seen a concept around community-centered development, which is something that AWC is um, leading the charge on which would create a full service, mixed income, walkable neighborhoods with higher density that includes um, affordable and market rate housing and a variety of retail and commercial activities. So it provides jobs and services for people in the community. And then under that proposal, and this is controversial, um, local governments will get access to state authorized incentives um, so that they, if they met certain zoning requirements. So um, we've yet to see draft legislation on that, but we know that um, it's, it's coming. In terms of behavioral health, um, as I mentioned, Shoreline's a leader in this effort, but we need to do more across the state. We need more workforce, we need more services, we need more facilities, um, and there needs to be greater access to behavioral health services, including substance use disorder treatment, and so um, we wanna make sure that we support state funding for cities to help establish things like alternative response programs, co-response programs, diversion programs, things like that to help um, individuals that are experiencing behavioral health challenges. Um, on, on housing and homelessness, um, as I said, there were um, the bills that were introduced last session that did not pass will still be alive. A number of bills passed, but a number of them didn't. I expect that there will be a, a trailer bill on the middle housing, just to clarify some definitions. It'll be really tight in terms of the changes that it made last uh, from this last session. Um, we could see proposals around rent stabilization, um, watching the, the Tacoma initi initiative as of tonight, it was ahead by about 300 votes. And so that may spur more conversation in Olympia in terms of changing policies around rent stabilization. And then housing affordability will continue to be something that the legislature deals with. There were a couple of bills last session. One in particular would have modified the state and local REIT, the real estate excise tax and it would have um, created a new uh, commercial tier and it would have changed the, the tier structure that's in, in statute now. So I think there's gonna, there's gonna be a lot of discussion around housing next session. And then on um, city fiscal health, uh, continued efforts to get the state to support city infrastructure needs, including operation and maintenance for things like um, drinking water, wastewater, broadband, local transportation needs. I know Jim's gonna talk a little bit more about that too. Preservation and maintenance is something that's really important for cities. And then um, you've probably seen the, the, uh, the headlines about the Climate Commitment Act funding and how they're, they've gotten a lot more revenue than they thought they would. That of course is limited to efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, but um, there's, there's some opportunities there as well. And then um, revising the 1% property tax limit. Um, there is a coalition of individuals, of groups that um, are working together right now to try and push this over the line. And I know Jim, we wanted to talk about that. Yes, thank you, Deborah. 
Uh, so, uh, Council, in your green folders today, I just want to call to your attention uh, a request that has come from the co uh, the coalition that Deborah is referring to. This is uh, cities, it's labor, it's hospital districts and other special districts. Uh, it's a number of stakeholders from across the state who are uh, responding to this structural deficit that has been created by a 1% property tax increase limit, not just at a time when uh, uh, inflation has exceeded 1%, that's been true many, many years, but also population growth. And this, this cap does not allow um, um, city budgets to, to kind of track that growth. And so there's a coalition that's looking at uh, perhaps being able to in index a property tax increase to inflation with a cap at 3%. It's a fairly modest proposal and they are putting together an advocacy piece uh, which was also included in your folder today and they are seeking um, uh, co-sponsors, people who can lend their name and their logos to, to what they're trying to accomplish here. So before we can conclude this evening, uh, I, uh, staff would be requesting uh, guidance from council as to whether you concur with the staff recommendation that we, we join this coalition and lend our name to, to us. So other key policy issues here, uh, some of which uh, Deborah talked on has to do with, with climate change and sustainability and effective use of climate action resources. There's so much money coming in through the Climate Commitment Act. There's money coming in through the feds still from recent legislation over the past couple of years to the state for use in this in this way. We want to continue to be a presence in Olympia to advocate for an effective use of that, seeing it uh, show up at the local level through things like electric, electric vehicle charging and other such um, things that can make a real difference in our community. Uh, fish, fish blocking culverts is kind of a perennial. We have been uh, uh, advocating always to uh, effective watershed-based state and local partnerships. There's still room for growth and improvement in that. And transportation funding that's really twofold. It's local resources to allow us to invest more in transportation. And it's also looking at some of the key new ways to, to potentially uh, approach funding in transportation, including a road usage charge, which when you look at both transportation funding in an electrical electric vehicle environment, but also when you look at how do you start to meet climate change goals in terms of carbon reduction could be a, a critical tool. So that is a policy discussion. We don't expect to see legislation on in the short session necessarily, but we do expect that uh, conversation to continue and we advocate for Shoreline to continue and have a voice and an interest and a presence in those conversations as they go. So that brings us to the end of our presentation and I turn it back to you, Mayor Scully, for questions. Questions or comments from Council? Councilor Mork? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, I agree with everything that you've proposed. I, I think it's really important. I appreciate the hard work that you've done. But, uh, you know, I always got to go on the bandwagon for environmental stuff. Uh, the Milwaukee Forest, Miyawaki Forest, which is being put up at the Shoreline Historical Museum, was a topic of great interest at the K4C uh, meeting with uh, Executive um, Constantine. And there are a variety of local uh, towns that are going to come look and see this. And that is an opportunity for sequestration, carbon sequestration. 
So I just wanted to point out that there is there is great interest in something that we're doing in Shoreline that that other cities are are interested in. The urban tree canopy is something we have a lot of interest in. Uh, Mr. Norris mentioned uh, that on November 4th we we exceeded the uh, 15 minute rainfall rate twice that we normally see in a year. We did it twice in 15 minutes or half an hour or whatever it was. So it was, you know, we know climate change is a real thing. And uh, lastly, I'd just like to advocate for the RAP Act. Uh, it was one that did not pass last year, but I think it really, uh, I, I think there's a lot of interest for a lot of people to put that through, and I'd like to add that to our list. And thank you for all the ones you have on there. Councilman Roberts. Oops, sorry. Yeah. Councilman Roberts. Thank you, uh, and thank you, Mr. Hammond and others for putting this together. It's a good, the good place, and I think does a good job of capturing um, the values of, of our city and our council. I do think there's a few things that either need to be could be highlighted or either in the discussion or in the document itself. The first is um, you mentioned this in the presentation, but one of the things that the state did or has done and now is collecting funds for is the Climate Commitment Act. And one of the things that AWC is really lobbying for strongly, and I think one thing that we need to be lobbying for strongly is funding going directly to cities. Um, we have a lot of climate projects, as Councilmember Mork and others have talked about um, over the course of the year, whether it's about stormwater or whether it's about um, parks and um, uh, trans uh, transit and uh, sidewalks and bicycle facilities. All of these things fit within the project, and we need. Uh, we should have, we should, cities should have money coming directly to us so that we can spend those with dollars without needing the state to sort of just hand those out. So I mean, there, we should be fighting for and we should be pressing for a, the money, a pocket of money that comes directly to cities. And so we don't have to go to sort of Olympia and say, hey, we have this good project, please fund it, and every city is doing that. I mean, should this, the funding should be coming to cities and we can probably, we are good stewards of our dollars. Um, we showed that with uh, ARPA dollars and money coming directly to cities from the federal government. That should be the same principle like with these dollars as well. Um, a couple other things in terms of uh, things that either could be spelled out or uh, we should be at least pay attention to. Um, we are in the middle of our comprehensive plan process. Any kinds of changes to land use code at this stage is going to be very difficult for us and for our community. Um, every, day, every day that passes means one last day in terms of before we, in terms of the type of engagement we're going to have with our community if things pass. So we should be very cautious and very judicious with supporting proposals that would change, fundamentally change that process and how, how and what our a comprehensive plan looks like. It's not to say that there aren't good ideas out there, it's just that we are starting to see the end of this. I mean, we may, we're not quite at the end, we're not close to the end of it, but we know we have a definite time period of, of passing the comprehensive plan. 
that's the end of next year. That's quite, a, it's a short time <laughs> to do all the work that's needed. And so changes from the legislature uh, will may throw wrenches into that process. And we should, again, just be careful about what we support. And finally, um, I think there's a couple things that we should be, that probably could be added to the end, not as full bullets, but sort of something that could be added to some of these existing bullets. Um, we don't have anything in the legislative priorities about support for an aquatic center. And so when we talk about parks, we need, I think we need to be very specific in, in calling out, we still want to funding for an aquatic center and f either funding for design, funding for partnerships, uh, with other jurisdictions, but that should happen. We should, if we're going to fight, if we're going to push for and try to get an aquatic center built in Shoreline, we need to continue continue the push for that. And along the same lines, uh, many of us on this council uh, attended a presentation by uh, some bicycle advocates in Edmonds uh, talking about the need for filling, to completing the gap on the interurban trail. Um, providing a connection from Echo Lake Park to uh, the interurban, um, whether it's in Mathlay Ballinger Park in Edmonds or other portions of the trail. But one of the things that is going to be needed is we need some sort of safe connection for people to use. Um, one of the big things in terms of that presentation and writing it is there's a big hill <laughs> on Meridian. Uh, that is between these two segments. And for most riders, it is very difficult to ride up that hill into shoreline. And so we need to find and look for safer, more accessible uh, bicycle pathways between these two segments of the inner urban. And I think that the legislature, whether it's through the Climate Commitment Act fundings or just general bike and pet improvements, I think that adding something to our legislative agenda about the need to complete this gap is timely and appropriate. And I encourage us to amend the document to uh, put something in that says that we want to finish this gap, complete the gap. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Other questions or comments? I, I had a couple. Um, so this feels a little bit like mission creep to me. Um, and, and I get that some of the function of the policy issues list is to sort of establish our values. And then that gives Ms. Munguia and Mr. Hammond flexibility in responding to things that come up and you know the full list of, of what we generally want to accomplish. Um, it also gives pretty much unfettered discretion as to what you choose to work on. And many of, this things on, on, many of the things on these lists are not priorities for me in terms of the city. They may be priorities for me as a voter, but in terms of shoreline, I don't see a huge need in many of them. For example, the AWC's top three, what they want to accomplish on behavioral health is basically to catch up to us, which is good. The entire state should have it, but we're representing Shoreline, and I wouldn't want us to see us sinking tons of resources into trying to get stuff for other folks that we've already managed to provide. Not saying we oppose it, we absolutely do not. We should absolutely support it, but it's not a Shoreline priority. Likewise, property tax cap, that's a, <laughs> that's a bizarre anachronism that we should fix. But Shoreline passes our levy lid lift, and we've managed to do that consistently. So for us, that's not as much of a priority as, as it is for some place like, um, well, I won't, I won't name cities, but places that have a harder time passing their levy lid lift, and they really are hurting right now, whereas we are not. 
public safety, we are in the same boat with everybody else. In terms of where to focus on the policy issues, I agree completely with Councilmember Mork that where I think we can get some traction is where there's money, which right now is Climate Commitment Act and the carbon credits. Um, and I agree with, with Councilmember Roberts that making a push for more money directly to cities for projects, that would be a great thing for us to put near the top of the list and see if we can get that done. I always want to do more with stormwater. It always bugs me that a lot of our stormwater money goes to replacing pipes versus rain gardens. And I did notice that a rain garden went in opposite Richmond Beach uh, Library. I think it's fantastic. And I hope we do a lot more of that. And if we had state money to help us with it, great. Fish blocking culverts, on the other hand, we have them. But I don't think we're likely to get state money. And so that's another thing, like the property tax limit, that where we're really carrying someone else's water for them literally um, and again these are good things and we should support them but in terms of what we accomplish I would love to see us focus on climate change and sustainability this cycle to see if we can get some funds directly to shoreline for some of our unbuilt projects in terms of the aquatic center and the gap on interurban I agree those are problems I, I'm a little hesitant to sort of do a full core press because I don't think we have a plan yet and I'm not I wouldn't want to see us sort of speak generally and then all of a sudden we're constrained. The legislature's done something and we're constrained that we have to do it, you know, as part of a three city consortium or something or the money goes to the county. I don't think we know yet what we, what we want to do. And so I'm hoping we accelerate that process on a staff level and then we start meeting more with these other cities that want to partner, speaking more with the county, figuring out what we can actually ask for. And then I see that as a five to 10 year push, just like the pedestrian bridge was. And I'm fine with that being a priority soon, and I'm fine with sort of laying the groundwork for that, but I don't think we're ready yet to do a full court press. And likewise, in Urban Gap, that's another bridge. And when I met with that gentleman, I told him, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that Shoreline wants to be the bridge people. I mean, we just, we just built a pedestrian bridge. Um, and what at least I got from the gentleman I met with is they're going to ask Edmonds to probably take the lead on that. So we should definitely plant seeds of that, but I don't think that's a priority for us yet. And again, when it gets fully developed, maybe we'll go back into the, the bridge building business. Um, but for me, I wouldn't make that a top priority. You would ask whether there were any objections to us joining the coalition on the property tax cap. I don't have any. Does anyone else? No. Okay. No. Okay. All right. Seeing no objections from council, I think you're fine to proceed with that. Were there any other questions or comments from council or any response to what I said from either of you? Um, I would just like to, as a, as a point of clarification, right, just a general response to the comments as a preface to a question, which is uh, this feedback is exceptionally helpful because it, there is always more things you could do and prioritization in a, especially in a short compressed session is key uh, you know we are deborah's services one is a one person thing and so knowing where we can ask her to most effectively direct her time where we can most effectively direct our phone calls and emails this is this is great um and and yes climate commitment act will be uh, certainly a major uh, uh focus especially given the feedback from council um Another area will be the, the push we are expecting around housing funding, tra uh, transportation or uh, transit oriented development, uh, policy imposition uh, from state to locals. Those could have real impacts for us. And, uh, you know, we, again, it's, it's similar to what you were saying in the behavioral health uh, context. It's 
other parts of the state catching up to us. Shoreline has been a leader in this topic. So as much as anything, our focus will be to uh, to see whatever lands holding us harmless, that we're not penalized for having been ahead of the curve or somehow um, you know, sent down the road to you know where with the good intention of the state. So we are going to that keep some focus there just and and your feedback on that would be welcome. But uh, given this conversation, do you see any specific um, uh, tweaks to the the uh, priorities, or do you feel like the the document as drafted, with the uh, essentially uh, legislative intent voiced by members of the council this evening, is sufficient uh, to provide us guidance going forward? Comments, Mr. Councilmember. I'd still like to see discussion about. Aquatic Center and the, filling the gap. Yeah, I wasn't. I mean, my my comments weren't weren't trying to tell you don't do it. I was just saying, in my opinion, that's not yet a priority. I, I don't feel any need to to narrow the list because again, you have to be nimble, and something may come up addressing housing and homelessness that would have a tremendous impact on us. And I I think you have the guidance from council that we agree with with the the policy objectives as you stated them, even though we're not in 100% agreement on what we would put at one, two, and three in terms of priorities. So with regard to Councilmember Roberts' uh, 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 suggestion regarding the Aquatic Center, in some previous years, we've simply committed and priorities a, a commitment to keep the profile raised on our intent to develop a rec center or an aquatic center in our community. It's certainly something we could uh, put the language back into the document this year. I do think realistically in terms of where there might be money, it's not going to be a mid-biennium sort of yeah. deal. It's yeah. going to be a new yeah. biennium and and obviously we, we probably need a more coherent uh, uh, idea, proposal to, to take forward into the legislator, but legislature, but uh, we could do that if if that meets uh, your. I, I saw a nod from Councilmember Roberts. Do you want to speak further? No, I mean I think it, we've had this on the agenda. I think just carrying forward the same language should be sufficient. Okay. Right. Any other comments in response? No. All right. Anything further, Mr. Hammond or Ms. Mangia? Right. Thank you very much. It's very helpful. Yeah. Th Ms. Norris. Mayor, if I just could ask, if uh, we add that language in, is council comfortable with this coming back on for consent adoption currently is scheduled for the 27th of November? Would you like to see this as an action item? Oh, I, I apologize. I forgot, we, I forgot we actually had to vote on this. <laughs> it's coming back. It's coming back. No, I know. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I've forgotten this wasn't just advisory that we have to actually vote on the priorities. Um, is there any objection to, have it on the, to having it on the consent calendar as amended? No? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so it, it is fine on consent calendar now. And if Councilmember Roberts objects to the language, he can always pull it. Uh, but it's it's or Councilmember. Moore. Go ahead, Councilmember. Yeah. I, I was just trying to understand that climate stuff is we are going to the Climate Commitment Act is going to be moving up as far as importance. Correct, Mr. Hammond. Uh, we would be happy to elevate the Climate Commitment Act uh, bullet to, to emphasize its importance, more than happy to do that. And uh, we could, per some of the what you were talking about in terms of city funding, we could add a clause in there regarding city, uh, you know, direct funding to cities, kind of a block grant thing, probably wouldn't use that term, but some 
the uh, funding for climate commitment, carbon type goals. Thank you. I'm I'm okay with consent. All right. Yeah. Let's let's put it on consent, and if anyone objects, we can pull it in and have it as an action item. Thank you. Anything further on this item? No. All right. Th thank you two very much, and we are adjourned. <laughs>